0: name is Max, of course, and on today's show, I have a very special guest. Her name is Alison Braun, and she is a photographer, but the reason she's on the show today, and she's my featured guest, is because she is basically a documentarian for uh, some incredible, incredible musical acts in the last 40 years. She's documented uh, everything, including the Seattle music scene of the early 90s, let's say late 80s, early 90s. Uh, but she's she's seen a lot, and that's what this show thrives on. So it really is an honor to have her on. So welcome to the show, Allison. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You uh, mention on your website, uh, allisonbraun.com, that you've always been a music fan first and foremost. Is that correct?
1: That is absolutely correct. Yeah, I discovered music at a pretty young age, and just loved loved hearing music. Loved going to see music. It's always been, um, a part of my
0: life. Uh, what, what struck me is that in that opening statement on your website, uh, it mentions that you were, I believe 10 years old when you saw your, uh, you saw kiss in 76, which must've been the yes. destroyer tour.
1: It was Oh, it, wait, no, it wasn't Destroyer. I think it was the love gun tour actually. And oh, I think love it was gun. someone had corrected me. It was 1977, but yeah, okay, so the year
0: after even better. It was
1: 11, even better. Yeah. So it was the Love Gun Tour and Cheap Trick opened.
0: Oh my God. And that's Cheap Trick right when they were emerging. Uh they must have been on their second record at that point, maybe. Yeah, I, in I, color. I
1: never heard of them. I was there for Kiss. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow, what a fantastic double billing. And um, so you're you're at this show. And if you don't mind taking me through this, you're at the show at that young and age, uh, young age, you're very it's very, it's a very impressionable moment for you. And here you see, you know, these. I can't even imagine what it must've been like to see the original kiss uh, with Ace, oh. Peter, Jean and Paul.
1: I was a kiss fan and I was, I think uh, in sixth grade, I was Peter Chris for Halloween and and I didn't have pierced ears. So I just like hung some like roped big loops on my ear. So it looked like I had earrings in and I, I did the makeup and, you know, wore the outfit. So I was, i I knew exactly what, you know, what kiss was. And, What um, I was getting myself into, I'm not entirely sure my father knew, but yeah, so he, he graciously uh, got some tickets from a business associate and took me to the show and uh, we brought a camera and um, I saw, I think it might've been Bob Bruin. I have to reach out to him and find out, but there was a photographer down the front taking pictures and I was enamored with this guy taking pictures. And I thought, I want to do that one day. So I took my dad's camera. I started taking pictures, and so it began. You know, from the low section of the Los Angeles Forum, um, taking pictures of Kiss.
0: Oh my God, that's incredible! So, so the transition between you deciding that that was going to be your 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 life goal uh, to <laughs> become a photographer and to document these incredible bands uh, for the for, for the rest of your life was that the transition between that moment and the moment it did happen, it it was fairly quick, right? Then you just got, you dove right in.
1: It was, it was not that quick, right? I mean, I was 11, but I didn't start taking pictures at concerts until I was 15. So there's a few years between I want to do that to when I'm actually doing that. Um, But my father bought me a camera. He taught me how to use it. He, you know, took me on photo trips with him because he was a serious amateur So I learned at a very young age, you know, it was film photography, you know, what different lenses are F stops, how to, you know, um, frame a picture. And eventually my father got me a dark room set up where I could develop my own film. So there, there was, there was a bit of time between there's kiss. I want to, I want to do that when I grow up versus, you know, I'm, I'm still a kid. So there's, you know, a couple, a couple years of my, my growth as a music fan before I, I, I was able to go into a show with a camera.
0: Do you, do you remember your first show as a photographer?
1: I do. Yeah, I do. I, I, I showed up, it was in August of 1981, and I went to um, the Whiskey to see Circle Jerks and Wasted Youth play.
0: Incredible. That's yeah,
1: cool. and I just showed up early, um, you know, with, with a friend of mine, and we just got in because you, you know, when you, when you get there early, no one stops you. And we just went in and waited with my camera. And I, you know, I ended up taking pictures. That was the first show.
0: Was was that like the primary establishment for you for a while? Was that L.A. area?
1: Yeah, I lived I lived in the Hollywood Hills. I lived um, on Mulholland and Laurel Canyon for all you movie buffs out there. Uh, and so it was about two miles down Laurel Canyon, uh, very sort of famous rock and rolly. Neighborhood um, to the Sunset Strip, and the Whiskey A Go Go at the time was part of several clubs that were the nexus for you know punk rock music. If there was the Whiskey, uh, there was the Starwood, um, there was the Roxy, uh, heavy rock and roll at the Troubadour. So the you know there was you know, this the strip had several clubs of which you know the Starwood and the Whiskey were the most friendly to this type of music at the time.
0: Um Gazares was around there too, right?
1: yeah Gazares was on the, on the sunset strip, and I have to tell you, I've never set foot in Gazares. There was absolutely nothing ever at Gazares that was interesting to me, and I lived there for in that area for twenty five years and I never went to gazzares
0: <gasps> yeah I, I mean Gazares is more like um the the hard rock bands of the era. yeah, it
1: was more like like the you know, no, no disrespect to rap because they were probably one of the hardest working bands in LA, you know, right. that type, you know, more, more of a rock genre than, right. than a punk genre. Yeah.
0: So, so what you said, you, uh, you were a huge KISS fan. What got you involved in punk music per se? Cause that seems to be where you really like found your foundation. Right. For well,
1: aside from KISS, I liked Black Sabbath. Um, you know, I liked Deep Purple. I, I enjoyed heavy, heavy guitar sounds. Uh, you know some of the heavier stuff of Led Zeppelin, and that sort of that you know diminished fifth, mm-hmm. you know sound that just kind of gets you at the base of your spine. I just love that music, and you know listening to you know some of some of the early punk stuff that I listened to, early DOA, early Circle Jerks. You know it was fast, it was loud, um, it had that visceral that visceral tone. You know that you can't you can't really explain with words. It just sort of it hits your nervous system, mm-hmm. and that's where I was like, "Wow, I want I want that. I want more of that."
0: Uh, there, there's something that I feel resonates in your photography uh, that's very punk rock. In that, what what shocked me the most is how um, present your photography is in that moment. Like uh, normally, you look at a photograph and it's very designated to a certain era and you, you believe right. that it's, in, it's part of that era, just with the way it was shot and the, mm-hmm. what was used at that time. What's amazing about your photography in particular is you have some of these shots from the decade of the 1980s and they all look very modern. Everything looks very visceral and live and real. And I feel like I'm there when I'm looking at your photos.
1: Well, one of the things, one of the things that was really important to me and it was one of the reasons I got into photography, and at the end it was one of the reasons I left. I enjoyed all of my shots um, are taken pretty much from the stage. And for people that know, I, I shot with a wide angle lens, um, and it made it appear even I was very close. But when you're close to someone and you use a wide angle lens, there's a very large depth of field, and you're right there. So when you see pictures of me um, taking, you know, pictures of the circle jerks or wasted youth, where it appears I'm on the stage. I am on the stage and I'm literally inches from them taking pictures because I felt that intimate connection with the bands and the music. And this was my way of giving back. So if you're in that moment with that artist and you're capturing how they felt, how the crowd felt from their vantage point, it's, I thought, even as a teenager, a very valuable thing. Um, It wasn't cordoned off where, you had to stand in front of the stage behind a barrier and then now you're removed from the band and later in the late 80s early 90s as bands got more famous and security whatever you you know there was this separation and I'm suddenly in front of the band in you know an orchestra pit and I'm not a tall person and suddenly my 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 vantage point isn't at eye level. My vantage point is looking up someone's crotch. And I just thought this is just not fun anymore. You know, if I'm not, if I'm not eye level, if I can't get in there with them, then I don't want to do this because then it's just, it's derivative at that point. And that's one of the reasons I stopped taking, taking photos that shows for a long time.
0: Well, uh, despite that, I think you, you, you did a fantastic job in capturing what I consider like the golden years of, of, of music overall. I think the, um, there's something very special there that can never be recreated. And uh, the fact that you have that documented in such a way, I think mm-hmm. is fantastic. So uh, thank you for that. Cause I believe the history needs to be preserved.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I've got my, my history is, it's all a negative film. So there's a physical component to my archive, which is the original negatives. Now today you really don't, you know, there aren't really, original negatives you have your your digital files which i suppose if you want to protect your copyright you can get nfts associated with them but i have you know physical you know my, my physical archive
0: is is there a particular band that you feel you developed a certain repertoire with as far as like they you became like their favorite photographer and uh maybe you continue to shoot them uh more so than other bands over the years?
1: There was there was a couple of those. I did a, a poll, a Facebook poll a while ago, and I let people guess what band that I photographed the most. And, you know, it surprised myself, but it was Blast from, from Santa Cruz, California. Yeah. Um, you know, they were by far my favorite band to photograph. And I photographed them more than any other band. And, you know, at the time, I forged a friendship with them. But not only did I enjoy their music, I, I love photographing them, you know, and I photographed them the most. And then, you know, the second one after that was uh, the band, the Italian saints was another band that uh, were extremely photogenic. I loved their music and, you know, forged a friendship with them, you know, and they became my muse for a while as well.
0: Mm. You, um, when did the transition occur uh, when you went from the LA area to Seattle?
1: I moved to Seattle in September of 1990. And so that that's when, you know, just right at the, oh, I don't know, just when grunge was about to explode. So, but I got here early enough where, you know, some of the bands that ended up exploding were still club acts. You know, I was able to watch um, Soundgarden explode. I was able to watch Alice in Chains explode. I was able to watch, um, you know, Mookie Blaylock become Mookie Blaylock, you know, to set to Pearl Jam, you know. So that was another, you know, another thing. And then I watched a lot of the other bands come up um, on the sub pop phenomenon. I watched Mudhoney come up and, and Seaweed. And, you know, so it was, it was a good time, you know, to, to, to show up in, in Seattle because I loved the clubs. I was back in clubs. I didn't have to be at arenas anymore. I was, I was back in clubs again and for a couple of years I enjoyed that until those bands got big and it was over.
0: (laughs) What was that? Was that, uh, like the, the driver for you to move to Seattle was just your longing to, to have that club experience again with some bands and you, the music that was going on there at the time.
1: Well, no, not really. It was a little, a little more complicated than that. Uh, you know, I had finished college and it was just one of those, you know, what are you going to do with your life sort of things. And I know if I didn't leave LA, I'd probably be living in my parents' house until, you know, it, you know, until I was old, you know, my, my dad was already packing my bags. He's but like, so what are you know what are you what are your plans? My mom's like you're staying right, and I said I think I'm gonna move, <laughs> and, and and so me by moving to Seattle was moving big. It was making a commitment, you know, to myself to start a new life somewhere where I couldn't where I didn't have to be so dependent on my parents because it would be harder to move home from Seattle than say moving to Silver Lake or something in L.A. Mm-hmm. So I went big, and I had friends. That was the other thing. It wasn't. I didn't move here cold. I, you know, I had, I had a a small group of friends that were here.
0: Well, how does it, how, or how did it feel back then to, to be a witness to uh, seeing this emerging Seattle rock scene? Uh, What was that like for you?
1: It was, well, you know, I was a a little bit jaded, you know, Seattle at the time was still kind of, you know, just provincial as far from someone from LA, you know, no, no diss on Seattle, but, you know, if I wanted to go get a dinner late at night, the restaurants weren't open, you know, it was just the, the you could only buy liquor from state liquor stores. So there was a lot of really odd quirks, especially also they had a, a teen dance ordinance that most of the clubs bands played in were bars, and you had to be over 21. And that, elite, you know, eliminated a huge fan base for people that wanted to see live music in Seattle, because there weren't these big all ages shows like you would have in LA at the Olympic auditorium or, or Florentine garden. So it was mostly either arenas or bars. And so I would go to a bar and it was kind of reminded me of LA in the early eighties, because there weren't a lot, you know, there were a lot of people and everybody knew each other. Everybody knew the bands and you were among friends again. And I walked in, in the middle of that, you know, just thinking this reminds me of, you know, Owl's Bar in 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 downtown L.A. So that's that's what you know made me happy.
0: What what I what I love a lot about your uh, what caught my eyes as well when I first discovered you on Instagram and your page and your photos was the fact that they all have stories behind them. You actually go out (laughs) of your way to tell these very personal (laughs) stories, which. Not a lot of photographers do that. They'll simply well, post a photo, a few thoughts, and that's it. You yeah, it took
1: a long time for, for me to want to do that. You know, I try I try not to be too personal on social media because, you know, I'm still of a generation that likes a certain amount of privacy, but people really like them, and people seem to really gravitate them. The The story I did of my first leather jacket, you know, people are like, oh, my God, I remember my first leather jacket. And the stories of my dad taking me to shows, people, you know, we're just they were very interested in to know about that so if people are interested i'll write the stories <laughs> they're all true
0: <laughs> i mean you've got everyone there from uh you know legendary people like nina Hagen on there and, and you got lemmy from motorhead uh you know sin 34 which you don't really hear of that often and the damn well,
1: my friend you know a lot of these people were my friends the band Sin34 you know especially Dave Dave Markey who's the drummer he had a magazine called We Got Power and I started I met him at a place called Okie Dogs in Hollywood and you know we just started talking and he had this magazine and a band so I started writing for his magazine and photographing his band you know which was Sin34 and that's the way LA worked you meet somebody and through them there's this great six degrees of separation to a whole bunch of other people that are connected either through school or through magazines or through a club.
0: So, so you also have, uh, you're also a writer. You come from a writer's background as well then, huh?
1: I do. Yeah. I wrote, um, I wrote columns for maximum rock and roll and Flipside magazine. Um, you know, I never played an instrument. Wasn't in a band, didn't write music, but I could write and I could take pictures. And so this was my um, you know, just sort of contribution to the scene. You know, I'm not going to, no one's going to hear my guitar solo, but they'll see my columns. They'll see my interviews and, you know, my pictures will be there. And that, that's, you know, how I, how I contributed.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, there's just something to be said for me personally about the, the historical relevancy of music and how mm-hmm. powerful it can be. Um, And I think a lot of people can maybe sit or maybe the youth of today, maybe even take it for granted uh, quite a bit. And to me, there's just something that needs to be preserved there for future generations. I think as far as like people knowing um, the historical context of, of their lineage and who influenced who and why, and why these, why should we pay attention to certain eras and certain scenes and certain bands and artists? To me, there's without the history uh, the music just isn't as elevated, elevated as it potentially could be, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And totally. And that's one of the things that I was acutely aware of, even as a kid Mm -hmm. is the historical significance of what I was documenting. You know, there, there's a lot of people, I just brought my, my, my camera to a show because I like to take pictures of my friends or whatever, but I was thinking a little bit ahead of that. I'm thinking, this is a movement in popular music history that's going to need to be recorded because people are going to come back to this much like they did, you know, in the sixties. So it's, I looked at it the same, the same way from collecting and documenting, um, musical movement.
0: Yeah. And, uh, with that being said, I would love, if you don't mind, just, um, there was a few shots in particular that stood out to me and mm-hmm. if you don't mind me bringing them up and maybe asking you some thoughts on, on that particular photo. Sure. Uh, yeah. There's one that immediately caught my eye was a photo of uh, HR from the bad brains and, uh, you consider it. And I quote, uh, the hardest band I ever photographed as far as bad yeah. because of HR. Oh
1: my God. I chased that band around for 81, 82, 83, 84, 85. I chased that band around for five years and it was, it, it was a joke. Um, I, I, I couldn't, I don't know what it was if it was HR was so kinetic or the band just moved. I just never got the shot I wanted. And it became this mission for me that I'm just going to go see the bad brains every single time they play, in Southern California. And I'm just going to go to the show and I'm going to take pictures of that band and I'm going to keep doing it until I get at least one good shot of the bad brains. And I think finally in 1986 at, at, um, at a place called Casa de la Raza in Santa Barbara, I got like three good pictures. Um, but the ones in my book, they're okay, but they're not, you know, there were other better pictures and I just, tried <laughs> it was just a joke and the best pictures i actually ever got of the bad brains weren't even them being playing live it was at a friend's house in hollywood i did a photo session while they were just sitting there and i took these really nice portraits of each member of the band and those were actually my best pictures but i never was really happy completely happy with my live shots of the bad brains they were a difficult band to shoot so they
0: just wouldn't stand still for one they second.
1: wouldn't stand yeah, they wouldn't stand still yeah. and also, there's a lot of things in photography, I mean, now that we take for granted an autofocus camera, you know, a burst, um, you know, Glenn Friedman, in my opinion, has taken the definitive shots of the bad brains. He's got these awesome pictures, of the bad brains, but I don't know how many, he, you know, how many images he flew off of his motor drive before he got a picture. But when when you're using film and, you know, I had a motor drive, which was, I think, all of six frames a second but it's so cute now. Um, But film is expensive and you could blow through a roll of film in six seconds. And that would be, that six seconds is $5 for the roll of film, $11 to process it. And it's going to take you a couple days to see it or when I go home and I process it. So there was a huge monetary output. It's not like today where you bring your digital camera and you could shoot 300 images on a burst And then go and pick them out and then delete all the ones. And you've spent zero money. You know, it was also, I'm a kid. I don't have a lot of money. So I have one roll of film that I could shoot this band with. And I had to be very careful to try to line up the pictures. Otherwise, I'll just blow through the whole film and I I will have nothing.
0: So you have to be strategic about it to a degree. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, it's it's you have to think like I, I would reserve maybe one roll of film for the headliner and maybe a half a roll for some of the opening acts or sometimes maybe one image of, of each member because it's it was expensive and I was just a kid. I didn't have a lot of money and most of the time I didn't get paid for this. I traded my photos for a, a spot on the guest list. So <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Um someone else that I thought was interesting uh you got David Bowie which I did. Cannot go without mentioning that.
1: Yeah, I was when I moved to Seattle, um, I saw that Tim Machine was playing at, at um, the Paramount, I think. And by that time I had connections. You know, I could just show up. I knew the promoter and I just David Bowie was someone who I idolized growing up, loved his music. And I thought I want to take pictures of David Bowie. is like my personal bucket list. Mm -hmm. I had a few and there's a few bands on my personal bucket list, not because I was paid to do just because I wanted to. And David Bowie was one of them.
0: And and I think it's interesting that you caught him during the Tin Machine era, which was almost like his punk rock uh kind of like garage band uh kind of um era where he did these two records where he kind of mm-hmm. wanted to not be david bowie anymore he wanted to be in a band situation again right and uh i thought that was interesting that that's when you captured him was yeah when he was, um, it was a
1: great a great way to capture him you know it was just it was very non-confrontational um, the it was at a smaller venue you know paramount was is not an arena it's it's an old theater and it's just it's a nice you know, place to see, to see music.
0: Wonderful. And yeah, you got, you even had Joy Ramone, uh, you had the Ramones and you got the wonderful shot from 84, uh, I I
1: booked them at my, at my college. Um, I helped, I helped promote that, you know, by loaning our club's name. I was in a, um, alternative music uh, club at Cal state Northridge. And as, as such, we can rent, Uh, You know, rent the facilities for cheap so people piggybacked on us for sponsorship so they could rent the hall to put on a show.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Um, You, there's one person in particular that really struck out to me because you had, you have mostly um, artists that are more in the punk vein. But then I saw one shot that was just a very, um, it kind of, it definitely humanizes this legend this icon and I'm speaking of uh Ronnie James Dio James
1: Dio yeah, yeah I, that was it, it it was um I didn't I never met Ronnie until that time so I don't know what kind of person you know he was I know what he kind of person he was on stage you know, he was the guy was just this charismatic legend mm-hmm. but we were both at this music convention and he looked like an uncomfortable guy at the buffet you know it's just that he was kind of standing back and either because he was shy or didn't want to be there, or I don't know what, you know, what was going on in his head. I just, I walked up to him. I'm like, Hey, I said, you look like you really don't want to be here. You know, if let's, let's go take a walk and I'd like to talk to you and take your picture if that's okay. Cause I I'm, I'm not happy here either. So we just took a walk and while we walked we talked and I just took a couple pictures of him and, you know, he was just, the nicest, most unassuming guy, you know, and it was just a picture of two people talking, hanging out, you know, at a moment in time.
0: I mean, the fact that he actually just took you at your word and said, yeah, let's go for that walk. That to me says everything.
1: Well, I tried, you know, I, I've been around enough people in, in bands that you can kind of tell when they don't want to. I mean, I'm not speaking for everybody, but mm-hmm. there's when people don't want to be somewhere, you can kind of tell that they're just done, you know, because they're forced to do something, they're required to do something, and they just would rather be anywhere but there. And I just kind of sensed that in him. And I'm a total stranger. He had no idea who I was, you know, but it was, I was, um, what do you call it, real enough that it was okay. You know, I wasn't some, you know, vapid person. I just thought, it's a nice day let's just get away from these people and talk
0: right on and and uh last but not least i can't go without mentioning a uh, 1990 Club spice you got billy idol <laughs> sam Kinison. and and then on the side you have a separate photo that you threw into the sort of collage of john bon Jovi and apparently this took place at uh robert nero's birthday party
1: i didn't even and and this is just one of those, I didn't even remember taking them, I saw the archive out, I'm just going through, and it was my archive for the band Scatterbrain, and yeah. I pulled out this, this, is this, am I filmed, am I, is my vision, my face going to be on there?
0: Yeah, if that's okay, okay with you. Yeah,
1: so, here's the, here's the, the, the folder, right? You, I don't know okay. if you can see it. So, so, I found these, I don't know if you'll see it with my background, but these black and white, yeah, that's it, these black and white images that were in this archive. And I just thought, what the heck? And so a friend of mine who's in the music business and she was a promoter, I, I sent her that image. I'm like, why do I have a picture of John Bon Jovi in my archive? And he said, was it, you know, he was in the back of the club at Robert De Niro's birthday. And the exchange on the Instagram thing is the, you know, the exact exchange. I'm like, I was at Robert De Niro's birthday. Yes. I'm like, with. Ron Jeremy and Sam Kinnison? And she goes, Yeah. I'm like, and Billy Idol goes, yep, yeah, you were there. And she goes, Yeah, don't you remember? Ron Jeremy stuck his tongue in my ear. I'm like, Ron Jeremy stuck his tongue in your ear at Robert De Niro's birthday at Club Spice with Sam Kennison and Billy Idol. She goes, Yep, yeah, true story. And I I just I don't remember. I, I must have been doing some other stuff that made me yeah. not remember. But yeah, it, <laughs> thank incredible. you, Diana, for, <laughs> for providing that. <it.
0: laughs> what a scene though. I, I it's almost <laughs> surreal to see all these people in the same room together and and, 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 and at Robert De Niro's birthday uh bash nonetheless. <laughs> o- only, only in 1990,
1: right? Yeah, it, exactly. And it's and the, the weird thing is Hollywood was kind of like that. And there was there was another club earlier on in the 80s called the Cafe de Grand and it was on Argyle and Vine. It was kind of a quiet corner of downtown Hollywood, and you can go there and disappear. It was a crappy club, you know. Punk bands would play in the lower floor, and there was a bar, and you could just go there, whoever you were, and just disappear because no one cared who you were. And you know, I was there a couple times. I saw David Lee Roth there, and I had a double do a double take. I'm like, why is why is David Lee Roth at the punk bar? And then I realized that it's probably at the time, one of the few places that David Lee Roth could go and no one gives a you know, rats ass who he is. And, you know, that was kind of like what, you know, some of these clubs in Hollywood were, it doesn't matter. You know, you could be yourself, even if you were, I guess Sam Kennison was, you know, pretty big comedian at the time. There weren't people hanging on to him. He could just be at this party or, and just not have to, perform you know for for his fans so. Right.
0: so so basically it was just the world onto itself really it's like that la scene was just one big bubble of of personalities wasn't it
1: well yeah i mean i don't think it was one big bubble i think there were a lot of bubbles there's you know a whole bunch of different bubbles that depending on who, you know where you were but yeah it's it, it definitely just by the geography you know you would go out and there'd be a lot of a lot of people um that were not, you know, noteworthy, but nobody cared, you know? And, and I think that's important if you're, I guess, have what, you know, a celebrity status to be able to go somewhere and just nobody cares who you are.
0: So ultimately when you look back at all these photos, after all these years, what, what comes to mind for you? What What, what do you think when you look back at all this?
1: Well, I definitely think it was, a simpler time, uh, you know, I mean, this August will be the 40th year, of the start of my, you know, photography. And you realize that, you know, my age at 15, I had no cell phone. There were no cell, nobody had cell phone. Wait, n- yeah, 1981, there were no cell phones. And there was no such thing as social media. And there was no internet. And nobody had a computer. Uh, it, and you had to be a kid in the way kids had been kids for, you know, the previous couple of millennia that you, you know, through word of mouth is how you discovered new things um, through, you know, just serendipity or going to, you know, a record store or having someone tell you or a, a sympathetic DJ playing some interesting music on their show is how, how we discovered this or we did it ourselves. We promoted our own shows. We, you know, wrote our own magazines and it was a do it yourself attitude because it was simple. You could go to go to, um, you know, Kinko's and make a magazine. There was a whole cassette trading subculture of you'd go to a show and somebody would have that show recorded on a cassette, not like the fancy cassette recordings that people would do at Grateful Dead shows, but crappy ass, you know, things you could barely hear. But that's how you would discover stuff. So it was very simple. There was no such thing as a social media influencer because there was no social media. So it was a lot easier for people to just make friends and have your circle of friends and discover new things organically. And now it's a lot more complicated, you know, with with you know people trying, you know, their darndest to humiliate themselves enough so they can get more fans on, on social media.
0: Yeah. Um, I Like you said it all. And uh, I, I kind of wish we were living, we were still living in some simpler times. Yeah, uh, there was I a magic.
1: To the house, we get in the car, we go to a show. I take pictures, come home, develop them and mail them to Flipside where they may or may not print them. You know, it was very simple. <laughs>
0: There was an authenticity there too because you put so much work and effort into into what you loved or and, and so much passion into it. it it felt genuine and it was genuine and, and for the for most people it was a genuine uh one-on-one relationship between said fan and said artist and 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 yeah it was a bond a real bond there
1: and the the um artists that I became friends with some of them I'm still friendly with now you know 40 years later that they Contact me, ask me how I'm doing, you know, show me pictures of their kids. Some have moved to Seattle, you know, and I'm just I'm I'm happy that some of the friendships that I made are enduring in that respect.
0: Is there is there one artist or one band in particular that you never got to capture on film that you it was like the the (laughs) the big what if for you?
1: Yeah, it was I I make a joke. I never photographed minor threat. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: And and that was it was it was yeah. And, and I, I was on um, another podcast and I, I said, yeah, my, my biggest disappointment was never photographing minor threat because I had um, I, I had a nose job and I was recovering from plastic surgery. So I didn't go see minor threat. <laughs>
0: uh, there's a, so if you don't mind uh, telling me a bit about your book, you have a, a, mm-hmm. a, a photography book that uh, was recently released. It's uh, in the pit. Yeah. Uh, in
1: the pit well,
0: yeah and it's from 81 to 90 right 81 to
1: 91 yeah or something i don't think i had a copy here but my cadence is not opening okay yeah,
0: yeah. I, will, I will be ordering a copy of this book uh you you have a uh a pretty good selection of artists to get everyone from the dead kennedys to bad brains mm-hmm. wasted use misfit, misfits black flag 45 Grave, sound garden and more yeah
1: I had um I, I had curated that book as originally as a portfolio of my favorite pictures. And um, you know, I published it a long time and then I couldn't keep up with it because so many people wanted it. And you know, my COVID project was this book and print business and was running out of my my home office and it got too much. So um, someone who followed me has a, a record label in Berlin and they said, I'll publish your book and we'll 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 send this around worldwide. So um you know no plan records ended up publishing my book and you can order it through my website and we ship all around the world now you know i've I've sold you know a lot of books since you know they started moving them and I'm happy to do it again do it do it yourself, right there was an independent um, printer in Croatia that did a, you know some anarchist books that did a really good job printing it um, you know, No plan records in Berlin um, knows everybody and through their connections, um, they're able to get them into independent record stores. And through my connections, I've gotten them into independent record stores and galleries. So it's a real sort of old fashioned, do it yourself, not on Amazon sort of thing. You know, if you want the books, you got to get them from us. And I just, I appreciate that sort of retro way. Maybe it, maybe it's not the most modern, but it, to me, it's the most authentic and, you know, we price them so people can afford them. You know, I want my art to be seen. I want people to have books. I want people to buy prints. So I, I keep, I keep the price points in a way that, you know, people can afford my artwork.
0: Yeah. And, and I be, would, I'm speaking for all, uh, music fans out there who really value music. I think that's, uh, the greatest treasure that there are, people such as yourself out there who truly value music um, really giving, giving that to the fans in a way that, uh, that we really appreciate it. So thank you so much for that.
1: Yeah, no problem. And, and I love when people buy my prints and they say, that's me in the picture next to Cal from discharge, you know, I'm like, yeah. wow, that's you, you know, 10% off. <laughs> that's, you know, I, I, I really enjoy when um, I sell pictures to people that are in the photo or even better, Someone says my dad was in that band, and that's him playing guitar. Can I get a picture of that? <laughs> there,
0: there's that's another thing. You can actually on your website on AlisonBrown.com, you can actually order prints of of your photos, right?
1: Yeah, you can go and there's a you know my print prices are under you know on the pay on the page, and all you have to do is you can scroll my my feed on Instagram, find a photo you want, you know, follow the instructions on my website and just tell me where you live for shipping quote. And I can, you know, I can make you a print of any band you want. That's on my website, any size you want. If it's, if it'll blow up enough, I, you know, right, right,
0: right. Well, and the
1: books are there too.
0: I, I am going to honestly, uh, I believe right after we're done here, I'm going to definitely be ordering a copy of, uh, of your uh, book in the pit for myself. Cause I'm dying to actually hold a copy in my hands and look through that. Now,
1: where's Where's your podcast? Where are you geographically located? So oh,
0: I'm I'm in the Orlando area. Also. Okay, Florida. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, if you have any listeners that are in in the Northwest, I've got a a gallery show coming up um, July 10th in Portland, Oregon at Word War Gallery W Y R D W A R. It'll be the you know sort of welcome welcome out of your house <laughs> sort of gallery opening where. Hopefully everybody will be vaccinated and Portland won't close down again. And We're going to have an opening and The Accused is uh, going to play. And I've got, you know, 19 images spanning um, my punk and uh, crossover metal work.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Who's in the crossover metal area, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Oh, sure. I've got The Accused, uh, Voivod, Metal Church, Motorhead, um, Slayer. You know, that kind of, you know, I have a whole, I'm working on a second volume right now for, you know, the Possessed, Death Angel, you know, Metal Church, Sacred Reich, DRI, you know.
0: The more thrash uh, yeah. stuff. Yeah. Fantastic. You know, you know
1: some early Metallica thrown in for good measure.
0: <laughs> Which again, the fact that you were able to bear witness to that is fantastic to me. That's just wonderful.
1: Well, it was it was kind of by accident. You know, I was clearly in the punk rock court, but music changes and, you know, it changes pretty quickly. And at at one time, you know, some time in the mid 80s, a lot of bands started moving towards that metal, that crossover thrash. And I just went with them. You know, my camera went along wherever they played. So went from all punk rock to shows that also featured punk rock with DRI and COC and Necros and Motorhead. And there's just this huge sort of crossover element, you know, suicidal tendencies, you know, playing, um, you know, with more metal bands, Soundgarden and Voivod on the same bill. I mean, there's just these interesting bills and I just kind of went along with them and ended up with a pretty, pretty decent thrash metal archive along with my punk stuff.
0: That's amazing. And, And so for, um, Is that something that you're going to continue to do these, um, be part of these uh, galleries and and whatnot for the next uh, few years? Yeah.
1: Before COVID, I was doing museum exhibitions. Um, I had just finished an exhibition at at the Carnegie Center for Art and Culture in Louisville. And then I had done another um, exhibition at Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle. And then COVID just immediately happened right when those things launched. So I'm happy to be back. Um, into the exhibition space, um, more museums and more galleries just so people can, you know, can see the pictures and maybe buy some.
0: Well, Allison, thank you so much for taking the time to come on Sonic Dorms. I mean, we've only been active for, let's say about seven months now, and it's really a passion project for me, honestly. So I really appreciate that. You have no idea. And, uh, uh, I would maybe at some point love to have you back on the show and, uh, maybe we can talk about some more stories.
1: Oh yeah, no problem. Just uh, send me a link when your when your podcast is ready, and I'll I'll put it out there.
0: But yeah, uh, this was wonderful. That's what the show thrives on. It's all about the um, the experience of music history and talking about why music is important and whatnot. And um, you really delivered on that, so I really appreciate that so much. Thank no you. problem. So uh, thank you, Allison, And I uh, hope to talk soon. And for those who, again, uh, aren't aware, uh, please check out In the Pit. It's on AllisonBrown.com. You can also find your Instagram, social media on there as well, right?
1: Alison Brown photo. Thank yeah.
0: you very much, Alison.
1: Be- I'll get some stuff posted later today. All right.
0: Thank you so much, Allison. I really appreciate Take it. Care. Have a nice day.